definitely human. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. It is the spring of 1929, and at the furthest reaches of the world, five indomitable travellers are bound for their final confrontation. Our heroes are pulled through the barren wastes of Antarctica by a pack of huskies, their only remaining allies, on their way to the last stronghold of the powerful cult they have been chasing for a decade. There is no longer any support or reinforcements to draw on. They must face whatever lies at the end of this trail alone, with only their experience and determination to aid them. But what use is the experience of ten years against the army of evil that has amassed and suckled at the breast of the infinite bad? Doom of Antarctica, Part 7 The desert sky is black, save for the cold gaze of a distant moon, which shines down on the excavation site of an ancient tomb, illuminating its ruined pillars and great stone door. This is Egypt, the summer of 1920, and Jean-Selim Abdelaziz is asleep in one of the workers' tents, dreaming fitfully of the blank, bulbous eyes of Salah, staring up at him from the darkness of the Nile. Even as he starts awake for the sixth or seventh time that night, the captain fancies he can still hear Mohammed's screams ringing in his ears as that wretched, convulsing corpse slithered into the river. And then a cold dread seizes him, as he realises the screams are no longer confined to his feverish imagination. 
they are coming from within the tent. Jean Selim has awoken into a nightmare, a phantasmagoria of primordial horror. At the foot of his bed stand three lions, hulking and silent, gazing down at him with glowing eyes, their mouths twisted into impossible smiles. For a moment, he gazes back, his mind unable to process what he is seeing, and then the lions turn away, dragging one of the screaming workers out of the tent. Jean Selim jumps to his feet, and in a sudden blaze of instinctive bravery, he joins Mohammed and the other men in attacking the beasts, kicking and beating them with their fists, but their blows come to nothing. The lions return to the night, ignoring all but their chosen prey, whose screams will haunt Jean Selim for the rest of his life. Now, in the spring of 1929, on a dog sled hurtling across the frozen continent of Antarctica, Jean Selim once more reflects on that fateful voyage, which opened his reluctant eyes to the ancient horrors that lurk in the shadows. What good is the mere courage of a man against immeasurable evil? And for all that they have seen, surely that is as nothing compared to what must lie ahead. He looks over at the frail frame of Cornelia Cavendish, who, anticipating his thoughts, turns and fixes him with a steely glare. We're going to die here, are we not? You are taking us to all our doom. I am not. No. What would make you think that? Everything, everything we have seen, these monsters, these men who, who wish nothing more than to, to see our entrails spilled on the snow? How are we even going to, to, to return to civilized land? What happened to, to the ship, the quest? jean Celine, what did we talk about before? Shirking, <laughs> complaining. <laughs> you said you were in fully to our quest. We, oui, we, oui, madame, I... Perhaps you have made your peace with death, being uh, advanced as you are in your years, but uh, for me, I've, uh, I have brothers, I have family. I wish to return home to them. I mean, I'd like to go home too. I don't, I'm not planning to die. None of us are planning to die. That's not part of the plan. <laughs> really, at all. It doesn't figure into it. We're going to, it'll be fine. We're going to make this. As you are saying this, you realize that you've actually started to come quite close to your destination. And as you approach it, the sight before you sends a shudder of buried anxiety through your bodies. As the dogs crest the next hill, you can see a building rising out of the snow, moonlit against the black sky. It is no stunted observation post or meteorological station. This is a large mansion, and immediately its tiled roofs and dark bay windows are known to you and drive an impossible reality home. This is Drakelow Hall. For all your shock and anguish at the sight of this familiar building here, it seems to give vim to the dogs, who begin panting even more avidly as they veer to bear you directly towards the estate. You hear Jean Selim quietly muttering to himself now, C'est pas possible. Ça doit être un cauchemar. He's visibly shaking. Yes, very good, uh, Jean Selim. <laughs> <laughs> more of that spirit, let's go. I want to try and persuade him. Make like... wisdom checks, all of you, first. 15. 16. Uh, 19. 4. Wow. All of you except for Dorothy are taking this very well. Dorothy, you like... gain 15 dread. Okay. The rest of you gain 5. I feel like I'm feeling pretty good about seeing this old friend. <laughs> 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 
Yeah, can I try and um, just calm Jean Celine down a little bit? Okay, how do you want to go about it? Listen, friend, I'm sensing that you have some reservations about coming along on this journey with us. But truth of it is, you're involved. You didn't choose this. None of us chose this. Evil chose us. But also God chose us. I understand that uh, that message might be <laughs> a little confusing, but God works in mysterious ways. Okay, make a, I think, a persuasion check. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I smile as well. Okay, I persuasion, smile. persuasion, yes. Ten. Uh, he looks at you completely bemused. A nod, yes, you understand. He looks over to you, Dorothy, uh, hoping that you'll be able to explain what Sebastian means with all the words that he's using. <laughs> John Salim, I think what Sebastian's trying to say is that we have we have a mission here. Yes, you believe in you believe in God, right? You're a devout Muslim. Right. And you must believe that God has a purpose for everyone, yes? Right. And so maybe this is your purpose, as it is ours. Mm. <laughs> let's uh let's see what's inside this mysterious. The point language. is, Jean Salim, not to let me down. <laughs> 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 okay, just understand that. <laughs> okay, so you managed to kind of uh, collectively browbeat Johnson into, into more or less a normal state of mind. You are now nearing the front of the mansion. So the dogs stop and immediately start scratching themselves, start playing. They still have quite a lot of energy. Um, I would like to thank each of them <laughs> individually. <laughs> Uh, you can see now at the front of uh, the estate a variety of familiar sights. You can see uh, the stables, which you will remember you found the horses to escape Dracula Hall the first time. You can also see a patch of lemon trees, strangely vibrant and healthy, even if they sprout from solid packed snow. And they're exactly where you encountered them in relation to the estate. Uh, when Nurse Boskin was tending to them ten years ago. You also see uh, the small enclosure where the hunting dogs were. The first time, ten years ago, you found these dogs whirling around Mm. in this strange circle as they were sniffing at something in the ground. And here you see about a dozen dead foxhounds, their carcasses dried and desiccated in cold. And as you see them here your dogs fall upon them ravenously and you're off the sleds now and they all run towards the enclosure and start tearing into the dried, ice-mummified flesh of these dogs. And as they do so, they begin to take this strange whirling pattern just circling round and round uh, around a fixed point at the centre of this enclosure in a strange kind of reflection or mimicry of the sight that you saw ten years ago. Oh, and I don't like Investigation that. check, a cult check. I would All like. The I would like to approach it and make an occult check of what's going on. Yeah, go for it. Ten. Uh, there's something about the fact that they're circling around a fixed point. It, it recalls books that you've read about ley lines and about cardinal points in the earth and dowsing. But there's not a specific cause or theory that that comes to you about this. But it's all, all kind of redolent of that area of the occult. Okay, I'd also like to check out this uh, lemon tree. Mm-hmm. I would like to take a good, long, hard look at this lemon tree. Yeah. Okay. As long as it takes. I'm, re- I'm really... 
going through it very finely. Set down okay. a stool and sit yes. there. Yeah. Okay, go for it. Nineteen. Nineteen. Okay, so uh, it is the same lemon tree that you you saw ten years ago. You're quite sure that it is a key ingredient in the tea that has been the calling card of this cult. There's something about looking at it now, sprouting out of this solid packed snow, that it makes you think there's some there's a relationship between this unnatural fertility and the whole uh, mythology of rebirth and the trinity imagery that has been uh, shot through this whole cult. You start making these connections between this idea of fertility and rebirth and fecundity, and you feel like the act or the ritualistic growing of something like a lemon tree in a strange or in a hospitable setting is thematically tied to the aims of this cult. Mm. Is Is there anything unwholesome about that lemon tree? Oddly, it actually looks too wholesome. Mm. Very wholesome. I feel like I want to, I want to like walk into the pen and stand in the middle where they're all wearing around. Like I want to. Is, is that a weird thing to want to do? I just I don't. Understand oh, you got a shovel? Go digging. Yes. Go digging. You could. I mean, mm, okay. the nurses were digging at at one point in were the they? beginning of Drakelow Hall. Yeah. Mm, okay. Were, yeah. Maybe we should dig where they were digging. Interesting. Okay, I would like to dig where the point is that they're all wearing around. Okay, so do you want to just kind of bustle your way through the dogs? I don't know, are they still good dogs? Would they move around or they literally want to like bowl me over? They're not biting you, but they're kind of trying as much as possible. They're getting in the way of you trying to dig, basically, by... Oh, right, I see. Sticking their snaps where your shovel wants to be. Oh, so cute. You don't have any provisions, do we? Mm. I mean, you have some scraps of food left in your... um, Yeah, maybe. Might try and entice the dogs. Yeah, Go on, shoo, over there, go on. Uh, make animal handling check, uh, whoever's doing it, either you, Sebastian, or you, Joy. Well, I'm trying to get them to come yeah. towards me. Right? Okay, so yeah, go for it, Sebastian. Twelve? Yeah, it's enough. Uh, a few of the dogs uh, start going towards you, Sebastian, and because the alpha is among them, the rest soon follow. And you can see that uh, they've pretty much devoured the entirety of the carcasses of the dogs that were left behind. Not even the bones are left, only larger portions of the skull that were not immediately edible to them. I'm like, yes, hungry boys. <laughs> haven't seen many seals here. <laughs> what is a seal? Does anyone actually know? Joy, you start digging into the frozen mud. Uh, make a strength check. Seven. Uh, it's hard going with your small portable shovel. Uh, you will need help if you want to make any headway. Okay. Does anyone want to help me here? I will help you. Okay. So, Sebastian, you're looking over kind of curiously as this old woman and this young, slight woman digging at this frozen mud while you're just, like, playing with dogs. (laughs) Dorothy, you remember when you mentioned about us acting strangely and if we should notify you about that? (laughs) Um, Hmm. Have you noticed that Joy and uh, Mrs. Cavendish appear to be digging in the snow? (laughs) I have noticed that, yes. I think they might be... Because did you notice that... Before the dogs seem to be circling, I think they're doing some investigation. Oh, okay. Essentially, but perhaps John Celine would be willing to help with the digging. Dorothy, come help us with the digging. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dorothy's glad to help with the digging. She is going to try her best. Go for it. John Celine is glad to stay behind. Ten. Okay, between the three of you, <laughs> you begin to make some headway. It is slow going though, and all of you make constitution checks. Uh, not you, Sebastian, and not John Celine. 
Nine. Ten. Seventeen. Okay, so Dorothy, you're you're handling this fairly well, but Joy, you're going to take a level of exhaustion. <laughs> After about half an hour of trying to dig through this frozen packed mud, uh, you manage to get a few feet down into the earth, and then your shovel strikes something. Who wants to part the earth? You, Joy? Yes. Okay, so you start parting the earth with your fingers. Um, then you put your hand down onto something warm and black. It is some sort of black stone. And as you uncover more of it, you can see that it has been roughly hewn. Uh, you presume by human hands and make a will save now. 19. You resist an overpowering urge to take your glove off and to place your entire hand onto it. Um, But looking down at it sends this jolt of foreboding and dread through you. A cult check. 16. This seems to be a buried monolith, or it seems to be made of exactly the same material as all the monoliths that you've seen at Drakelow Hall in England, as well as everywhere else in the world in your travels. You're not sure why this it's buried underneath here but it does seem to be you find anything over there i think we found another monolith you think we should touch it no 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 unnecessary i have very bad feelings about touching it you should know by now as a mention not to touch a monolith <laughs> towards the entrance of the uh of the Drakelow hall estate uh, you notice one of the things that isn't the same is that there seems to be a chair right next to the front door with what looks like a pile of rags in it. As you approach more closely Cornelium, you realise that there is someone inside this pile of rags. That what appeared to be at first a pile of rags is in fact a vanishingly thin man covered in just very haphazardly, almost strewn rags wrapped around him. It's almost not even an outfit. It's almost like someone's just thrown rags onto a person until there's been enough to stay on him. Okay, what does he look like? What? Um, do you want to lift away? You can see there's like yes. a trembling, a little bit of a cloud of breath. Yeah. You lift away the rags on his head. Absolutely. Uh, you recognize him. This is Lord Nigel Gresley. <gasps> older, much older than what you remember him being when you met him 10 years ago. Uh, even then, he was he was an elderly man. Uh, but now he seems absolutely ancient and his eyes are clouded with cataracts and he wheezes with every breath. His pursed lips tremble in the cold. Sir Nigel, he, do you recognise me? He barely looks up at you through these cloudy eyes. And he says, eh, eh, It is Cornelia, Cornelia Cavendish. Uh, do you recall, sir? Uh, why? Who have, you, who have you come for? Angela Gresley. Uh, just inside, yes. You're the ones who followed. Uh, How long has it been, Sir Nigel? Oh, 12, 20 years. It's hard to say, my dear. Always finding smouldering ashes. It must have been very frustrating, dear. Time hasn't been kind to you, sir. (laughs) (laughs) He laughs and he says, Oh, no, it hasn't, young girl. The time is not kind to any of us, least of all this accursed world. Our time is up for all of us. 
I would like to replace the rags for him. <laughs> and then, yeah. <laughs> I feel like we can progress. Yeah, yeah let's go inside. Angela's yeah. just inside. Yeah. I like to come over and like, ah, look at these rags. Does anyone want some more rags <laughs> for warmth or something? Okay, uh, as you go to replace the rag over his face, um, he launches into a mumbled chorus of the British National Anthem. Oh, God. Mm. <laughs> oh my god, Nigel Grizzly. I like nose to nose with him, like peer at his old little face. <laughs> Is that really you? What do you make of this, Mrs. Cavendish? Hmm. Can I do an occult check on him? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can. 13. I mean, he's. He's an old man. Uh, you wonder whether the horrific rituals that he's taken part in have played a, a role in, in degrading his mind more quickly, but he is very old. I see. Yeah. Part of the same temporal anomalies, I suspect. Yes, that was my thinking too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> where's Angela? Angela is just inside. I say we go in mm. and I take my pistol out. Wait, are we sure we can trust this man? We what definitely, we definitely can't, but I do think she is probably inside. What if it's a trap? Would you like to stay outside? Well, obviously not. Okay, okay. let's go inside. Tom told us we can trust Tom. Both the stories correlate with each other. We've come here to find Angela. But I mean, is there another way in rather than the we, front door? We could take the kitchen entrance that we took before. Yeah, you can have a look. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as you start going towards the kitchen entrance, leaving Lord Nigel Gresley behind... He comes out of his chorus of the British National Anthem uh, to cackle again and say, Ah, the nick of time! The nick of time indeed! And then with his voice like cracked clay seeping with mucus, he continues to throatily warble the National Anthem. So you make your way around the front entrance towards the uh, side entrance where the kitchen was. Uh, You can see that it is barricaded, but it's still there. So if you want to try to take off the wooden planks, you can try to make your way in through there. All right. <laughs> uh, jean Salim, feel free to help him out. Uh, jean Salim reluctantly agrees. Eleven. Uh, jean Salim is very little help, and he mostly stands behind you, Sebastian, watching you work, as you, you, with not inconsiderable effort, pry the planks off of the door. After a few minutes, you manage to get enough of them off in order to open the door, uh, you find that it is not locked at all. Excellent. Okay. Well, um, everyone got their weapons? Yes. Yep. What does John Salim have in the way of... Uh, well, I mean, he came with you, so he's got a pistol. So then I've got a rifleman's service pistol. A knife and a pistol? Nothing. I've got a, a pistol, a knife, and a hunting rifle, so why don't I give you my pistol? Thank you very much, Dorothy. Of course. All right, then. I suppose this is it. Okay. okay. I would like to sneak through the kitchen. Yes. Okay. Joy, you're going in first. Mm-hmm. Make a stealth check. 17. Great. Uh, you open the door and you are relieved to hear that the hinge is soundless and you make your way inside stealthily. The interior of Drakelow Hall seems like a ghostly reflection of what you found when you visited ten years ago. You've seen it decked in soft furnishings in England, then ravaged by fire, 
and now you find it corroded and heavy with frost. The wood beams bulge at odd angles as all the moisture in the building seems to have been frozen up and long icicles hang from many of the ceilings. As you enter, you are immediately aware that you are not alone. Around you, on dozens of simple woven mats, lie people, men and women, emaciated and ill-clothed. Those who are not very still and vacant-eyed are shivering uncontrollably. Some seem to be wearing the open-fronted robes that you saw the cultists wear in Karajan, but many seem to have discarded their clothes entirely. Is there still a trap door in the floor here? Mm-hmm. Where it was last time? There does seem to be. Uh, Dorothy, make a medicine check as you come in. 20. Nice. Uh, it looks like clearly all of these people are um, experiencing very severe hypothermia, and those that have discarded their robes, you would surmise that this is an instance of paradoxical undressing, which is a symptom of the very last stage of hypothermia when you essentially become delirious and you fool yourself into thinking that you're warm, mm. and that will make you want to take off your clothes. Is there anything we can do for these people, Dorothy? I don't think we're in a position to do that right now. I see. There are so many. I think we have to get to the bottom of... I think we need to find Angela. Make a perception check, everyone. Two. One. Five. Seventeen. Sebastian, you hear something that pricks your ears immediately. You hear what sounds like knuckles cracking from further in the hallway. So it would have been greeting you as soon as you walked in, had you walked in through the front door. The sound starts replicating and multiplying, and you can hear what sounds like hundreds of knuckles cracking. Ah, I wonder if these chaps in here, uh, if it's the similar sort of situation as it was at uh, Karajah, when they all got a bit toothy and handy. That doesn't seem unlikely. Are we sure down in the basement is actually where we want to be? No, we are not. I mean, we have the dynamite. That's true, we do have the dynamite. I'm ready to blow these beasts to hell. We would very much be trapping ourselves down there, though. Yes. yes. I mean, is this going to be our final leap of faith? Make uh, stealth checks, all of you, by the way, as you've been talking. Ten. Twenty. Three. Five. <laughs> okay, uh, Joy and Cornelia, you managed to, to whisper quite quietly to each other. Um, but Sebastian, unfortunately, when you heard the sound of those knuckles cracking, you couldn't stop yourself from going, eh? And looking over, and indeed, you can start to hear that whatever it is making those sounds reminiscent of knuckles cracking is slowly making its way towards the kitchen where you are. Hmm. I think we go down. I think we go down. We go down. We're all in agreement, all five of us. <laughs> Jean Selim? Jean Selim is frozen in fear at the sound. Uh, he seems like he's ready to bolt again, but he's he's keeping it together for now. He says, Let, let's just go. Let's leave. All right. Let's just go down. That's what you meant, I assume. Let's go down. <laughs> let's go down. You start making your way towards the trap door. As you do so, all of you make dexterity checks, including Jean Selim. 13. 8. 5. Okay, all of you, including John Salim, except for Joy, uh, as you're making your way, Joy, you make it to the trap door and then you whirl around at the sound of all four of the rest of them crying out in surprise. 
and you look down and you can see that the figures that you thought were prone and lying down, these people who are suffering from extremely late stage hypothermia, seem to have sprung to action and grabbed at the ankles of all of them. And they seem this this kind of hoarse hissing sound, this kind of <gasps> that's coming from their mouths as they seem to be coming back to, to some sort of consciousness uh, and they clutching at the ankles of each of them. Joy, you're the only one who's not restrained at the moment. What would you like to do? Um, do they look as if they mean harm to everyone? Are they going to turn into the monsters? Are they trying to restrain them because they want to feed them to the monsters? Like what? You can't tell whether it's pleading for help or alarm, but you can't see their chests moving or anything like that. You don't think that they're about to burst into hand monsters. They just seem like starving, cold people who've just suddenly had a last burst of strength almost. And now you're starting to hear this uh, strange popping, scraping sound along with this laboured, gurgling breathing as whatever was making that knuckle-cracking sound is making its way very quickly towards the kitchen now. I'm pointing my pistol towards them. Let go of them! Get get off! Okay, the nearest one to you is the one uh, on Cornelia's ankles. I'm sort of like kicking the hand away from the Make ankle. an attack check at advantage. Yeah, that's a hit. You kick the the man's hands and he releases Cornelia's ankles momentarily, but then clutches at the the hem of her trousers again. The rest of you, what are you doing, Dorothy? What are you doing, Sebastian? Uh, Just trying to get past them. Yeah, yeah. just struggle on. Okay, kick for his way down, way through. Make strength checks, both of you. 16. 6. Dorothy, you managed to tear yourself free. Uh, Sebastian, it's it's relatively easy for you to, to get free of the man as well, who's clutching at your ankles. But unfortunately, you trip and stumble over him as he, he curls in fetal position, trying to restrain you with his entire body. jean Celine takes out his pistol and fires it wildly down at the man who is holding his ankles, uh, hitting him twice. And the man goes quite still immediately and releases him. Okay, that's one way to do it. John Celine. Have I opened the trap door? Yes, you have opened it. Okay, so I'm motioning. Come on, let's go. Yes, I would like to go down the trap door. Mm. Yep. Let's get out of here. Yeah, I mean, I will continue to struggle to get towards the trap door. Okay. (laughs) Uh, All of you are able to make it to the trap door, except you, Sebastian, make a dexterity check to extricate yourself from the man who's wrapped around your ankles. 12. Yep, you managed to do it. uh, And you turn as you're doing so you can see that just coming around the corner now is this horrific thing composed almost like a pillar of hands tumbling, rolling around the corner of the hallway into the kitchen. Uh, and it's making this this wheezing, gurgling, breathing sound. And you recognise it. This is the thing that you saw in the passage underneath Drakeler Hall 10 years ago. And now... Ironically, it is chasing you into the tunnel beneath. You managed to get to the tunnel last, Sebastian. Mm-hmm. Uh, make a dexterity check. Ten. Ten. Yes, you managed to get in just in time uh, and close it behind you. And you and you have to hold it closed as you can feel that hundreds of hands are grasping at the trapdoor and trying desperately to get it open. Uh, so the rest of you are in the passage now, making your way down the tunnel to the hallway that leads on and away from underneath Drake Low Hall. Uh, but Sebastian, what are you going to do? You, you feel like 
if you let go of this trapdoor, it's going to fly open. Is there nothing we can put to bar the yeah. trapdoor? I search around as, as Do I have anything on my purse? Like, like uh, rope or anything like that? Uh, you have rope. Yep, you can try to secure it. The ladder down is composed of these kind of iron bars. Tie the latch to yeah. the iron rung mm-hmm. so that it yeah. can't open that way. Yeah. yeah. It can't open it up. Yeah. I'll do that. I have, like, survival. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Joy, yeah. go for it. Five. <laughs> okay, uh, it's taking you some time and your hands are sweaty from the nervousness and you're very, very crowded uh, in, the, in the same space, basically, as Sebastian who's struggling to hold the trap door closed. You're going to need to make another attempt, but before you do that, Sebastian, make a strength check to see if you can keep the trap door closed against the... I want to ready my pistol to yeah. shoot at the thing if the trap door should open. Seven. Okay, the trap door starts leaning open and it's almost buckling under the, the strength of this thing. Uh, a crevice appears and you can see this nest of hands, Cornelia. I'd like to shoot Take your shot. That. 19. That's a hit. Very nice. You thread your way between Sebastian and Joy. Um, <laughs> Whoa! <yeah. laughs> Roll for damage. 10? Yep. Nine. Uh, it's a strong hit and the beast recoils and you can hear a squealing as it, as it wheels back. And for a moment, Sebastian, you're able to slam the trapdoor shut uh, and give yourself some breathing space to work. Joy, uh, you can make the roll at advantage again. Three. Can I pull off just one of the metal bars from the ladder and just try and stick that in there? Yeah, uh, make a strength check without advantage. Joy, unfortunately, the rope is, keeps slipping from your grasp. 17. 17, yeah. With, with an almighty roar, you just wrench one of the iron bars directly from the surface of the tunnel and slam it into the, into the latch and the topmost iron bar of the ladder, basically creating a, a, a crossbar that seems to be keeping the trapdoor in place for now. Oh, nice one, Sebastian. Good work. You should have done that before. <laughs> The abhorrent sentinel of Draclo Hall screams with fury as its clawing, splintered fingers fracture and break against the cellar door. Far below, our heroes make their way down the cold, narrow passage, their minds flooding with memories of their first encounter with this terrible place ten years ago. Their journey continues for what may be minutes, but seems like hours, as Dorothy, Cornelia, Sebastian, Joy, and John Selim plunge into the darkness, lit only occasionally by candles placed on the floor. Most have guttered out, and those that remain emit a weak and fading nimbus. Far above them, our heroes begin to hear cracking sounds, as if unimaginable quantities of ice are shifting. As their eyes adjust to the low light, they begin to see shapes and colours on the walls. Some seem recent, almost freshly painted, depicting strange distortions on the figure of Christ and the Divine Trinity. Others seem incredibly ancient, almost primordial. Joy explains to the group that these are eschatological depictions from dozens of cultures across the span of history, each illustrating the end times and each playing on similar themes. Some sort of strange birth from the bottom of the world, pale anthropoid figures teeming across the planet and smiling humans emerging from within the mouths and chests of other anguished humans. Sebastian nudges Joy and points to the ground. She looks down upon the wretched, stiff faces of the dead, whose ragdoll bodies lie strewn about the tunnel floor. At first, 
there are only three or four, but as our heroes progress, the corpses line the edges of the hallway in an almost unbroken line. You've been listening to The Doom of Antarctica, written by Giorgio Mariani and produced and edited by David Knight and Tom Dalling, with music by Jonathan Day, starring Eleanor Kohler as Dorothy Taylor, Maximilian John as Cornelia Cavendish, David Knight as Sebastian St. Battenberg, and Charlie May as Joy Dutton Cavendish. I am Giorgio Mariani, Game Master. You can follow us on Twitter at The Infinite Bad and support the production of this series on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash definitely human. The Infinite Bad is a definitely human production. 